Welcome and thank you for choosing this powerful and life-changing message by Chris Vallotton. Join with Chris now as he shares from his heart the Word of God. And so tonight we're going to talk about honor. And I've actually uh, preached on honor quite a few times, um, but not, uh, not, with, not in relationship to the seven pillars. But God wants to restore honor. And let me tell you, um, honor, honor um, is an interesting subject. Because sometimes we think of honor and, and loyalty, and sometimes we reduce honor to some to agreement, meaning that I I can honor somebody when I agree with them, or in honoring someone, I'm saying to them I agree with them. And I want to propose to you that honor doesn't have anything to do with agreement. As a matter of fact, it was Daniel who honored Nebuchadnezzar. I don't think he agreed with Nebuchadnezzar, but he honored him. As a leader. And um, it's interesting because, in fact, why don't you just turn to Jude chapter 1. And I want to just um, show you that honor is an attribute of royalty. Now, for some of you that maybe haven't heard this before, how many of you know that we've been called to be a royal priesthood? 1 Peter 2. That we're not just a priesthood, but we're a royal priesthood. And when you got saved, you went from uh, being a sinner to being saint. And you also went from being uh, somebody who was in the kingdom of darkness. And you got transferred to the kingdom of his son. Now, when you got transferred, an interesting thing happened. Not only did you get transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son, but you got adopted as a son, and you got adopted into a royal family. Your dad is the king of kings and the lord of lords. That makes you a son or daughter of the king, which in English means you a prince or princess. Now, how many of you know that there isn't any, there, there is no poverty in the kingdom of God, and there are no paupers in the kingdom of God. Everybody in the kingdom of God is royalty. How many know that this is the only nation, according to 1 Peter 2, we're a holy nation. This is the only nation that doesn't have a single common person in the whole kingdom. Everybody in the kingdom is a son or daughter of the king. We're the only kingdom on the face of the earth where everybody in the kingdom is actually royalty. That's a Selah, and Selah means stop and think about it. <laughs> so um, one of the things that I've been doing is I, I'm writing a book called From Paupers to Princes. And uh, one of the things that, that I did for the book, and actually I did for myself, I just ended up in the book, is I began, uh, the Lord just put it in my heart to study um, royalty, study princes, princesses, kings, queens, and, and social leaders throughout history that knew God. And one of the things that I noticed, so I started gathering these um, attributes, and I, I eventually called them the attributes of royalty, and I, I actually done a teaching on the attributes of royalty. In other words, how does royalty act, how do they think, and how does royalty differ from common people? Like, how do royal people actually think? And one of the things that I noticed in, uh, is that, ro- that one of the attributes of royalty is honor. It's funny because in the kingdom of God, the people actually behave out of honor, love, and respect. There's basically two ways to have order. For instance, think of your house. If you're growing up in a normal house, there's two ways that, that your parents, or if you are parents, there's two ways that you can have order in your house. There's two ways that, that your house cannot be totally, completely chaotic. The first, the first 
style of leadership or way to make sure that your house has order is to control. And, if, and, and, the, and control has as its tools fear. Control is fear-based. And how many of you know that we all begin with a kind of a control style of culture? Like as we're growing up, our parents say, well, if you do that, you're going to get a timeout or you're going to get spanked or whatever. And when, we went, and when we're little children, how many of you know we're not ready to be empowered because we need, we, we're not ready to take control of our own life? And so as long as we need someone from externally to direct us, we are going to be involved in a controlling environment. Did you get that? As long as we can't control ourselves, somebody will control us. And one of the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5, is self-control. And when I get to a place where the Holy Spirit is working inside of me and taking control of me and giving me control, giving me control of my own self, in other words, with the, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is that I can actually behave, I can actually control me. I don't know if you got that. If I can't control me, guess what's going to happen? Someone externally is going to control me. So the first level of leadership or the first way that I lead in my family is, is that I control and the, and the, um, the, the tools of control are fear, intimidation, and so on and so forth. The other way I can have order in my house is through empowerment. I can empower people and the tools of empowerment are honor, respect, trust, and truth. Honor, respect, trust, and truth. What's that mean? <clears throat> well, think of it when you're growing up. Your parents, when you got to be a teenager, if you respected and honored your parents, they empowered you. Hopefully. Hopefully they did. Let me say if they were good parents <clears throat> and knew what they were doing, they empowered you. Why? Because they knew that you would do the right thing because you respected and honored them. Are you following me? If you, were, if you didn't have honor and respect in your heart, you probably lived in an environment where your parents controlled you. Why? Because you needed somebody externally to control you because you didn't control yourself and you had no honor and respect for your leadership. Does that make sense? Okay. So, one of the things that I want you to see is that in the kingdom of God, we are in power. God, God is an empowering God. How many of you know He doesn't rush in and make all your decisions for you? As a matter of fact, there's this thing that He gave you. It's called the free will. Somebody once said, you know, why does God allow sin in the world? Well, that's really simple. God allowed free choice. And the risk of free choice, the risk that God made when he allowed us to make our own choices is that we wouldn't always make the right ones. And how many of you figured out that God seldom rushes in and takes control even when you make bad choices? God, God so wants you to be empowered and have a free will that he is willing to allow you to make bad choices and doesn't take away your ability to make bad choices in the midst because his value system in the kingdom is so empowering. Anyway, are you guys okay? Is this a little dry? Uh, hopefully it'll get better. Now, one of the things um, in the book of Jude, if you just turn there, verse 6, it says this. Angels did not keep their own, angels who did not keep their own dominion, but abandoned their proper abode, he is kept in eternal bonds under darkness for judgment on the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them since in the same way, 
as these indulge in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Yet in the same way, these men also, by dreaming, defiled the flesh, rejected authority, and reviled angelic majesties. But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil, did not argue about the body of Moses and did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but he said, the Lord rebuke you. I want to stop right there. And there's just a piece of this that I, I want to grab. There's a, I've kind of done a teaching on the, uh, the archangel and the body of Moses and all that. But tonight, I just want to take one piece of it. I want you to notice that Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil, he did not uh, give a railing of judgment, pronounce a railing of judgment against him, but he said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, that's to contrast. You'll notice what the context is. He says, you have people that are in, in your midst who are rebellious and don't, they don't submit to authority. But even Michael the archangel, when he was dealing with his enemy, did not pronounce a railing judgment against him, but he said, the Lord rebuke you. What's the point? The point is this, is that Michael even deals with the devil with honor. Okay, that's a Selah. Here's my point. In the kingdom, we don't give honor so much because someone deserves it, but because we do. In other words, there's a difference between being honorable just because someone deserves honor. In other words, I'm honoring them because they deserve honor. There's a difference between that and I walk as a royal son or daughter of the king. And because I'm honorable, I give honor even to those who don't deserve honor. And I want to propose to you that that one of the attributes of royalty is that when you walk in your kingship or your queenship, that you walk as a royal king and queen of the, of the, uh, uh, of the Lord himself, and that you carry with you an honorable spirit in which people are honored, not because they deserve it, but because you do. And I want to tell you that it's actually written in society. Honor is actually written in society. How many of you know that God actually put the commandments inside the heart of people? Follow me. He has written them on their hearts. He has written his commandments on their hearts. No longer, it says, has he written them on stone. How many of you know, just because they took the Ten Commandments out of the Supreme Court, they're trying to get rid of them, but they'll never get rid of them because God said, I took them from stone and wrote them on hearts. (laughs) And how many of you know that you live in the Supreme Court? That's a Selah. You live in the Supreme Court, and those, those commandments are written on your heart. You can't get away from them. You can try to destroy them. But God said, I took them from stone and wrote them on hearts. And one of the commandments is, honor your mother and father. It will be well with you, and you'll live long on the earth. That's one of the commandments. Follow me. And God said that he wrote, honor your mother and father. He wrote honor on your hearts. You can't get away, you can't get away from it. You can't destroy some rock and hope it's gonna go away because it's in your heart and conviction for those laws that God put in your heart comes from the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? How many of you know when we have, we, you know, we've been involved in this Iraqi war and uh, several months ago, there was an incident where we found out, we discovered through some, some, uh, website stuff, we discovered that some of the Iraqi prisoners in a particular prison were being mistreated. Now, I don't know if you, if you are like me and you kind of like ask yourself questions to corner yourself. <laughs> I mean, have you ever thought yourself into a corner? 
Have you ever, have you ever experienced something, either it's coming off the news, uh, off of a newspaper or in the media or somebody asks you or, you know, says something to you and like, you can't, you don't know exactly why, but you're like, that's wrong. It's kind of amazing to me because here's the Iraqi soldiers, right? We take them captive. We put them in prison. Okay. Now we mistreat them, which does everyone agree? That's wrong. Okay. I, I, so you heard me say that too, right? That's wrong. But there's kind of a crazy thing here. If those Iraqi prison, if those Iraqi soldiers would have been killed in the, in battle the day before, probably very few Americans would be mad that that our enemy actually got killed in battle. But once we captured them, the rules changed in our own hearts. Follow me for a second. The, those are our enemies. But once we captured them, the rules changed in our heart. So we take them captain, we put them in prison, and, and most of the abuse was, you know, uh, and, then, and then we mistreated them in prison. As soon as that hit the newspaper, Americans rose up and they're like, what are we doing? Why are we treating people like that? Now, if I started thinking, <clears throat> first of all, if the Iraqis would have captured us, they would have totally tortured us. No question about it. They were beheading our people, they're, everyone they're captured, they're hanging our men from, from uh, flagpoles and dragging them through streets. No question that if they would have captured us, they would have mistreated us. But there's something about the law that's written in the hearts of a Christian nation that says it doesn't matter how our enemy would treat us. We don't treat them with honor because they deserve it. We treat them with honor because we deserve it. And we rose up and said, we will not treat people, we will not treat our enemy with dishonor, even though they would dishonor us. Why? People didn't know why. They couldn't rationalize. Did you hear all the talk shows and the radio shows? They're all arguing over whether that was okay. But I tell you that, that nearly everybody in America, even if you're arguing that, well, they would have treated us like that, there's something inside of you that says, that's still wrong. Why? Because we... <coughs> were raised. Our founding fathers believed in the gospel. And right in the foundation of our country is the the commandments of God. They rest in our hearts. And there's something in us that says, even though people aren't honorable, because I'm honorable, I treat people with honor. Are you with me? There's lots of examples, and for the sake of time, I'll just tell you one of the one of the uh, examples is in, in David's life. You know, he Saul's trying to kill him. Saul's the king, and David's running from him. And anyway, this whole long story. But the bottom line is is that David cuts off a piece of Saul's garment when Saul's chasing him, trying to kill him. Saul ends up in this cave, and David has this opportunity to sneak up on Saul. His men are all trying to convince Saul, David to kill Saul, but instead Saul just cut, David just cuts off a piece of his garment. And then when he gets free, when, when Saul leaves the cave, David gets up on this mountain and says, Saul, look, I could have killed you, but I left you alive. But, it's, but there's an amazing verse that says this, and David felt guilty for cutting Saul's garment, for he said, I, touch, I should not have touched God's anointed. There's something about having a kingly, a royal mindset that says, 
I need to honor people even when they don't deserve it because I do. <clears throat> you know, there's um, in Luke uh, 14, there's an amazing verse, and it's, it, it's, a, it's Jesus talking about the fact that when you go to the house of a guest. Let me read it to you. He began speaking a parable to the invited guests when he could notice that they were picking, picking out the places of honor at the table, saying to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for someone more distinguished than you may, may have been invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this man, and then in disgrace you will proceed to occupy the last place. But when you're invited, go to recline at the place so that when go to recline at the last place, so that when one who is invited comes, he may say to you, "Friend, move up higher," and then you will have a, that, then you will have honor in the sight of all those who are at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. There's several things about this. First of all, I want you to notice that in the kingdom of God, we were not invited to a round table. We were invited to a rectangular table. We were actually invited to a table that has levels of honor. Did you notice that oftentimes it will talk about the multitudes and it will say in the Gospels that say that, that they were touched from the least to the greatest. In other words, in the kingdom of God, we are all loved equally, but we all don't have, we don't all deserve the same amount of honor. And the Bible says that when we come to the house of God, that we've actually come to a rectangular table. We've come to a place where there are actually levels of honor. There are people who deserve more honor than other people in the kingdom. As a matter of fact, and what happens when you take away the seat of honor? What happens when you make everybody equal? Well, it says, if you honor your mother and father, then life will flow to you. You will have a long life. If you, how many of you know that on the, on the principle of honor flows life? If you take away the rectangular table, you take away life. And I want to tell you that something's happened in the last probably 75 years in our country. And here's what I wrote uh, several months ago. In the last 50 years, I wrote 50 years, America is experiencing a foundational earthquake that has radically altered the leadership landscape of our country. This cultural paradigm shift has far-reaching implications that stretch from the American family to the White House and from the business world to the body of Christ. I'm talking about the transition in government structure that took us from the rectangular table of government to the round table leadership. Here's what happened. I don't know, uh, some of you are not even old enough to remember all this, or maybe as far as you didn't experience it. But we, in our country, we had an honor-based culture where we actually honored our leaders, where we believed in our leaders. And I'm making a general statement because there's always exceptions to every statement you would make about a whole culture. But we had a culture that was based in honor. And then we had things happen in our culture. We had, uh, we had uh, President John F. Kennedy, who was, in some ways was an amazing president. But we found out later on, as, as time went on and as, new, as news began to travel and as, as reporters began to, to look into his life, we found out that John Kennedy was not moral. He was not a moral man. And then we had Richard Nixon, who in my day, he... he uh, he told us that he was telling us the truth over the whole Watergate situation and that he didn't know anything about it. And he, he got up one day in front of all of America and he said, I'm telling you the truth. 
And we found out when uh, the, the Nixon tapes were, um, were discovered that he was actually completely lying to us. We found out um, that, uh, that some of our spiritual leaders, whether you like them or not, they were still leading our country. Men like uh, Jimmy Swaggart and Jimmy Baker. And I actually, Kathy and I actually spent a day with Jimmy Baker like some four years ago. And he's just an amazing man. I just so love him. It's, this, isn't about their, this isn't about condemning them. I'm just telling you what, what happened in, public, in a public place. What, what happened to our country? Men that we respected, we found out that they weren't being honest. That they were, there, there was questions about their morality and the way they used money. And then we came into the whole season with uh, President Clinton, who we discovered had um, issues of morality and honesty. And what happens when we encounter, when when you honor somebody who proves to be dishonorable in character? What happens when you have an honorable office with a dishonorable person in it? Are you following me? What happens when when you have an honorable office? You have someone in the office of president... But they have character that dishonors the office. Well, I want to tell you what happened in our country. Slowly but surely, people began to take away the seat of honor. Little by little, and day by day, and month by month, and year by year, we began to say, you know what, nobody deserves honor. And then it became commonplace for us to talk against our leaders. I mean, just like publicly totally, completely share negative things about our leaders. We changed the table from rectangular where there was seats of honor to round to deal with the heart problem. We changed the structure to deal with the heart problem. Are you guys all right? I want to share with you in First uh, Samuel chapter eight, there was this, there was an interesting thing that happened in the days of Samuel. Now Samuel was a prophet who was raised up by a man named Eli. Eli was also a prophet. This has been the days before Israel had any kings. Before Israel had kings, they were they were actually ruled by judges. What is a judge? A judge would be um, it, it, a judge would be like the pastor of the church and the ruler of the city. The ruler of the nation, actually. So, in other words, their political and religious power uh, flowed together. Actually, a lot like they did in Iraq in some ways, uh, at least in certain, uh, certain cities and villages. And so, the, the political leader and the spiritual leader were the same person. They were actually prophets who led the country. And so, Eli was uh, one of the first uh, people who was a judge in the Bible. And Eli had two sons, and one of his sons was named Hophni, and one was named Phineas. And Eli was a righteous man, but his two sons were wicked. And they would stand at the temple gate, and they would steal the offerings and sleep with the women who came to the temple. And God tried to get Eli to correct his sons, but his two sons, but it didn't work. And so God raised up a prophet named Samuel, and actually he was raised up in Eli's house. And one day, Samuel gets a prophecy for Eli, and the prophecy goes like this. Because you will not correct your sons, you will all die on the same day. And they go out to battle, and of course the priests don't normally fight in the battle, but they carry the Ark of Covenant. And so they carry the Ark of the Covenant out in the battle, and, and, and that day, Hophni, Phineas, and Eli all die. 
and Samuel becomes the next judge. And Samuel is an amazing man. He's a great prophet, and he does an incredible job for uh, leading Israel. And Samuel has two sons. Now, there's kind of a, a crazy thing that happens is that Samuel's sons are both wicked, much like Eli's sons. Now, Samuel's beginning to get old, and in chapter 8, verse 1, it says, And it came about when Samuel was old that he appointed his sons judge over Israel. Now, the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Adjaniah, and they were judging in uh, Beersheba. His sons, however, did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together, and they came to Samuel at Rephaim. And they said to him, Behold, you have grown old. Your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the other nations. But the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel. And they said, when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in regard uh, to all that they have to say. For they have not rejected you, but they've rejected me for being king over them. Now, I I want you to just see um, something. The, his two sons, Joel and Adjaniah, they're both wicked. And the king and the, the elders of Israel, they go, hey, you know what? We did this with Hophni and Phinehas. It didn't work out for us. So they, they go, okay, Samuel's got two sons. They're both wicked. And they're trying to figure out how to deal with Samuel's sons. And instead of dealing with a heart issue, they changed the leadership culture. They changed the, the leadership structure to deal with the heart issue. Follow me for a minute. They said, let's get a king. And Samuel goes to God and says, hey, you know, they won't let my sons rule. And it's amazing because the reason why they wouldn't let Samuel's sons rule is because they were both wicked. You wouldn't have thought that God said, yeah, well, your sons are wicked. That's why they won't let them rule. But instead, God says, they haven't rejected you, but they've rejected me from being king over them. Are you getting this at all? In other words, God is saying, you have rejected me from being king because instead of dealing with the heart issue of Joel and Adjaniah, you changed the leadership structure to deal with the heart problem and God saw that as an insult to his kingdom. Are you following me? We have... Wicked people, we have people that have problems, we have, pe- we have all sorts of dimensions of dishonor growing in the church, in the world, in the business world. How many of you know we just seen some of our, uh, some of our best and brightest leaders go to prison recently in, in, in the business world? And so, how many of you know that God is cleansing the world of leaders who are not righteous? From political leaders to spiritual leaders to business leaders. And how many of you know it's going to continue? And I predict that we're going to see some military leaders really soon. That the judgment of God, I don't mean judgment like go to hell. But I mean judgment like God's going, okay, you know, when the righteous rule, people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people mourn. But in the midst of America seeing leaders who were not honorable, instead of dealing with the problem, we changed the leadership structure. I don't know if you're getting this. So if you come into most churches, for instance, they're run by the people. We vote to t- we vote about everything. 
Have you noticed that? And if the people don't get a chance to vote, they're mad at their leaders. It's like, how come we didn't vote on that? Well, I've never heard of the sheep leading the shepherd. That's a whole new concept. It wouldn't be in the Bible. It's something we did because we had leaders who weren't trustworthy, so we changed the structure to deal with the heart problem. The only problem is is that when you change the structure to deal with the heart problem, you take away the place of honor. And when you take away the place of honor, you take away the place of blessing. You take away the place where life flows. See, there's really three levels of life. The first one is curses. And a curse means that you get, you can do the right thing, the wrong thing still happens. It's what we were under before we knew Christ. We were under a curse. And we could do the right thing when we were in the world, but the wrong thing still happens. Why is that? Because we're under a curse. Actually, the devil is the one rewarding us for our good. And he doesn't give you good stuff for good stuff. He gives you bad stuff for good stuff. The second level of life is called sowing and reaping. And that means you get what you deserve. And when you come into the kingdom, the first level of life that you experience is, hey, I actually got what I worked for. How many of you know there's whole chapters in the Old Testament, like in the book of Joel, it says no longer are the canker worm, what the canker worms eaten, what the locusts have destroyed. In other words, you work for something and, the, and you didn't get what you deserve. Because why? The locust came in and ate it and the canker worm came in and destroyed it. What's that? He's talking about a people who lived under a curse. And he goes, I'm going to erase the curse and I'm going to restore the years. You're going to get what you deserve. Did you get that? And that's considered a level That's considered a level of grace. That you can actually work for something you actually receive. That's kind of nice. But how many of you know that there's a greater level of life than that? And it's called blessing. And blessing means that you don't get what you deserve. You don't get what your labor deserves. You get what he deserves. Jesus said it in Matthew 6. The, the birds of the air, what do they do? They don't sow, nor do they reap. But what do they do? They get taken care of better than Solomon. Selah. In other words, a whole bunch of us are working for what we could got for free. See, you can spend all your years laboring... And in the kingdom, we're talking about like outside the kingdom, you can spend all your years laboring and get nothing. But inside the kingdom, you can, get, you can spend all your years laboring and get exactly what you deserve. Or you can honor your mother and father and get what they work for. Let me say this. It will cost you to take away the seat of honor. Well, I'll tell you what, no wicked person is going to rule me. Well, I want to tell you another thing. No rich person will bless you either. See, it says, Proverbs says, house and wealth are the inheritance of fathers. You know when Jacob deceived his brother out of the birthright? Remember that? Remember Jacob and Esau, and they were twins, but Esau came out first, so he was going to get the birthright, which is the double portion, la, 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 la. You know the whole story, right? And Jacob, and, and so and Jacob is... He, he deceived his father uh, because Esau's a hairy man, and so... Uh, the father is about, to, um, is about to give him his inheritance. Remember that? And so, and so he's about to release the inheritance on him. Isaac is about to release his inheritance on, on, um, on Esau. And so they find, and mother finds out. And mother goes to Jacob and goes, Hey, your dad's going to give away the inheritance today. 
Why don't we, uh, you need to get that inheritance. You need to figure out some way to get that blessing. So she has him dress up with, with, uh, animal hair on his, on his, um, you know what I'm trying to say, on his arms. I'm sorry. I'm having a little struggle tonight, but we'll work through it. He, he dresses up with animal hair on his arms. His father's blind, so he doesn't know it. And he's, she makes him smell like the, you know, like he's a hunter because Esau's a hunter. And so he goes in and he deceives his father out of the blessing. And then Esau comes in about two hours later with this, you know, with the animal that he, he's going to cook for his dad because that was the deal. Hey, you know, why don't you cook me dinner and I'll give you the blessing. He comes in, he cooks dinner and all. He brings the meal into his dad and his, he goes, and his dad goes, who are you? And he says, I'm, I'm Esau, who you're supposed to bless. He said, who was the guy I blessed two hours ago? And he goes, Jacob deceived me. Please give me a blessing. He goes, I don't have anything else to bless to give you. I gave it all to Jacob. I want to say this. What Jacob fought for, most people in the church don't even know there is such a thing. Do you know Hebrews 6 says that the laying on of hands is one of the elementary principles of Christ equal to the, the resurrection from the dead, baptism, Eternal judgment. You know that. It says there are six elementary principles of the kingdom. And one of them is the laying on of hands. Do you know that we think. See Americans see that verse and they go. Wow the laying on of the hands of the sick. Is an elementary principle of the Bible. No it's not the laying on of hands of the sick, for the sick. It's laying on of the hands to transfer Inheritance. See, the reason why the Jewish church, and you'll notice it was the Jewish church, who began the laying on of hands for the sick. James was a Jew. And, and, it's, and it's in that chapter, we, it says, call the elders together and, and have them anoint you with oil and lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. You'll notice that it was a Jew who wrote that. You know why he wrote that? Because he understood that healing was a part of the inheritance that we received from our father when he died on the cross. And they realized that the laying on of hands was the way that you transfer wealth from one person to another. And they saw healing as a transfer of wealth. But healing was never, laying on of hands was never first for healing. In fact, Jesus touched very few people to heal them, mostly only lepers. Mostly he spoke a word. Follow me for a minute. The reason why James said lay hands on people because James was a Jew and he was accustomed to passing inheritance through the laying on of hands. But in order for you to, in order for you to get an inheritance from someone else, you have to see that somebody has something you don't have, which means they have a greater anointing than you have. You have to realize somebody has more honor than you have, more grace than you have, and you have to realize that you don't always belong in the top chair in the house. And if you don't realize that, you can go around being, well, I'm independent. I'm, you know, no one's going to tell me what to do. I have to learn it myself. And that's all great, but you're going to learn it yourself. And you're actually working for what you could have got for free. It's called a spirit of stupid. <laughs> I tell you, you know, one of the popular t-shirts, and who knows who got these ideas, but one of the most popular t-shirts right now is, the, is uh, a t-shirt that says independent. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Independent means poor. It means you're going to spend your whole life doing, get, working for what your daddy would have gave you for free. 
That's a stay law. We've taken away the rectangular table. Well, we're all equal. Well, I'm going to give you a little hint. We are not all equal. We all, have an, we, we all have an equal voice, but we don't all have an equal say. We all have an equal voice, but we don't all have an equal vote. Some of you are like, ooh, something rises up in you. I'm like, that's the thing. It's a spirit. How many of you know, if you got invited to a... Metaphorically speaking, to the kingdom, and they're having this big old feast, and there's ten chairs. And you come in, and you're like, you know, I think I'll take chair five. And chair ten's the best, and chair one's the the least. Jesus said, when you come in to a man's house, don't take the seat of honor, but take a seat lower than you deserve. How many of you know, in order to take a seat lower than you deserve, you have to know what you deserve? How many of you know, if you, if you sit, in, if you deserve seat five, but you don't know it, and you sit in seat four, that's not called humility. It's called lucky. <laughs> See, because humility is an act of the heart. You can't be humble by accident. You can be lucky by accident, but you can't be humble by accident. What I'm getting at is that that even in honor, honor doesn't mean, I'm a piece of junk and everyone's better than me. I'll tell you what, I'm just just the lowest thing and I'm just the scum of the earth. I'm just a, you know what, everybody deserves, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you can't really honor if you don't have confidence. And you can't be humble without knowing what you deserve. Did you get that? Because the only way you can be humble is to say, you know what, I deserve seat five. You know, that's, I deserve seat five. I mean, you know, Romans says that we, not, we shouldn't think more highly of ourselves, but we should think so we have sound judgment. In other words, you should know who you are. You go, I deserve seat five, but you know what, I'm going to take seat four. Now I've humbled myself. Why? Because humility means I've restrained my strength. If, if we're telling stories like we're sitting around, this has happened many times. We're sitting around the table with school ministry students, and they're telling me their stories. And they're like, ah, oh, we went to the mall, and we prayed for this man, and you know what? He was lame, and, and, and we prayed for him, he had a, a, a bum knee, and we prayed for him, and, and the Lord healed his knee, and that's awesome. And he went around, and he was excited, and he got completely healed. How many of you know that I have some more stories myself? And I say, well, do you think that's good? I prayed for four people's knees and they all got well in one day. But see, humility means I give them, I restrain my strength and I give them their moment in the sun. I keep back my stories and I let them have a place of honor. What's my point? Honor is supposed to flow both ways. If I'm a leader, not only am I to be honored, but I'm to honor. What does that mean? It means I spend a lot of time restraining my strength so that other people can have a seat 
Not that they deserve, but that I gave them because I deserve it. Did you get that? <laughs> okay. First Peter 2.17 says, honor all people. How many of you know that from God's perspective, all people deserve honor? You guys are so quiet. You're like, make me nervous. That's all right. You know, when I was um, young growing up, I grew up in a Spanish family. And uh, Spanish heritage is kind of interesting. All pretty much Latin heritage is like this. My grandfather was the oldest um, um, in our family, and that meant that if you were going to make any important decision in your life, you went and talked to him. Now, I don't know, I don't remember anyone sitting down and telling me, you know what, your grandfather's to be honored. I don't remember that. What I, what, no, I can't remember anybody ever verbalizing that. I watched them live it out. At, at Christmas time, Thanksgiving time, you came to my grandfather's house, even if you didn't want to, and it was just out of honor. So you didn't have to stay for long, but you, and you can make other plans. But at Thanksgiving and Christmas, you came not just to honor Christ, but to honor my grandfather and my grandmother. And oftentimes we would sit at this long tables where my grandmother would make, you know, and the ladies would get in the kitchen and they would cook all day and they would make, you know, turkey or whatever it was we're eating. And we'd sit at these long tables. As a matter of fact, there were so many in our family, of course, probably like your family, is we'd put many tables together and at the end of it would be card tables and the kids would be, you know, off in the hallway in another room sometimes because there'd be these long tables and, and there would be folding chairs and there would be whatever you could find to sit on. You know, would be sometimes things out of my grandfather's garage as we got older, because there's so many of us. Well, let me tell you, you didn't walk in and sit in the nice chairs if you were a kid. In high school or anywhere else. Listen, here's what I'm getting at. I can't remember anyone telling me, don't sit in the good chairs. It was in our culture. You just wouldn't do it. And if you, and if you, if you walked in, and let's say that you, you got all seated, and there was older people who came late, and they didn't have a seat, or they didn't have as good a seat, you just by nature, and again, I, I want to keep saying this because this is an important piece. No one told me, no one told the children, get up and let you know, Aunt Mary sit there. You just looked over and saw that Aunt Mary didn't have a seat, and you got up, and if you had to sit on the floor with your plate, you did that. It was right in our culture. I can't ever remember someone telling me that. It just was part of our culture. It was just who you are. It was just what you did. My grandfather had a chair in the house. It wasn't a nice chair. My grandparents weren't wealthy people, but it was his chair. And if he was home, you didn't sit in his chair. And if you didn't know he was home, or let's say you came home after you got there and you were sitting in his chair, my grandfather would come in and he wouldn't require you, he wouldn't require you to get up. In fact, he would make his way towards the couch, maybe you're watching TV or whatever. And as soon as you notice he's in the room, you would jump up and get out of his chair. If you happened to stay in his chair, my grandfather wouldn't say a word to you because that's the kind of man he would, was, but everyone else would stare at you like, you can't be that stupid. <laughs> What I'm getting at is there was something ingrained in the culture that was not just common to Spanish families, but it was common to Americans. I can tell you, I do remember this one incident about honor. We always let women pass through the door first. 
I mean, even if it was inconvenient, like let's say grandma was a little slow and she was back 20 yards and, you know, you could pass through it. No, you held the door and waited for her. And I remember one time I was in high school and I was going through the real cocky stage, which is probably part of the struggle. And I remember, you know, my grandma was kind of coming and I just kind of stepped in front of her and walked into the house and my mama was already in the house first. And the next thing, all I saw was her hand. She laid hands on my face. It wasn't called child abuse then, it was called discipline. And I quickly understood what she meant. And I jumped back out of the door and held the door open for my grandmother, which I'd almost docked her down with the screen door. Anyway, held the door open and my grandmother passed into the house and all was well. There was no word spoken. I knew what I had done wrong because my culture from the time I was little taught me to honor people who deserve honor. We were in a um, school ministry retreat. We're at a school ministry retreat. This is many years ago, four, probably four years ago. And uh, after the one night, after all the um, teaching and prayer was over, I was just sitting at this long table and with students, and we were, and I was just telling them more stories. And they were asking, "Hey, have you ever seen this? Have you ever seen that?" It was just kind of a fun night. And so it was a little hard to hear because we're in this hall. It's echoing, and some of the students are playing ping pong. And it was one of those nights. But about it, it, little by little, about 40, 50, 60 students gathered around this table, and we were all huddled together like a football huddle, so we could hear. And I noticed that uh, one of a, one of our pastoral, pastor's wives, Julie, she was standing uh, behind me at my left, and she'd come late, and she didn't have a seat. And there was a young man sitting next to me. And so I looked up, and I saw her. I said, oh, Julie. I said, um, get up and let Julie sit there. He looked at me. He said, I was here first. Now, i got to tell you this, that this student was one of the best students in our school. One of the finest students we had in our school. I said, I, I whispered to him. First, first I whispered to him. I said, would you get up and let Julie sit there? He whispered to me. I was here first. I said, I understand that. Let her, I said, get up and let her sit there. He said, if she wants a seat, she needs to come earlier. Now, by this time, my blood pressure is rising a little, to be completely honest. And, and Julie's standing behind us, and she can... She understands what the conversation is. And she puts her hand on my shoulder. And she says, oh, don't, it's no problem. Don't worry about it. I'll just come. I said, no, get up and let Julie sit there. He said, oh, okay. And he immediately got up and she sat down. And I went over and apologized to him for being angry with him the next day. But I realized something. See, it's not even in his paradigm See, he was taught, if you want a good seat, get there first. Nobody, listen, what I'm getting at. No one ever taught him about honor. I don't mean he was trying to be rude. He wasn't trying to be rude. He's an incredible student. The thing is, is that his mom and daddy didn't teach him about honor, and the culture didn't teach him about honor. Our culture taught him to just, to not honor people. And so this is his one, this is justice to him. You want a good seat? You get there first. He doesn't have any other facts kingdom principles to work through who ought to sit in that seat. I'll watch it day after day. It's, it astounds me how people could live the way they live. But I want to say something. It's, in a strange way, it's not their fault. Because you didn't have mom and dad who taught you honor. I don't know where you get it. Because you come to the church and they all gossip about each other, so you don't really learn it there. 
And you turn on the news and they're all talking about the president and everyone's got 42 reasons why the president's wrong. And every time the president says anything, they actually look for people. I mean, entertainment is the president says something and then they go, well, let's ask the Democrats what they think. Or if it's a Republican, I mean, if it's a Democrat, they ask the Republicans what they think. And no one ever has anything good to say about what the last guy said. So we're actually learning dishonor in our culture. And let me tell you, have you noticed that our, our, evangelistic, our, evangelistic, our evangelistic techniques are all based on dishonor? I know something you don't know. I'm smarter than you are. They're the saints and the ain'ts. And guess which one you are? See, we've protested. We've boycotted. But did you notice that the only two revivals that changed the Gentile culture were Daniel's and Joseph's, and they were both evangelism by honor? We go to work for a wicked boss, and he acts wickedly because he doesn't know the Lord, and we're stunned. (laughs) Oh my God, he lies. Oh, he does a lot more than that. In fact, he's actually, according to the Bible, controlled by the devil. And we're like, I can't work there. He doesn't have morals. Well, tell it to Daniel. See, if you take light out of darkness, that only leaves one thing. Darkness. Oh man, things are going to hell. Things are so bad. Well, it's because Christians retreat from any place that doesn't have their core values. We don't know how to serve anybody who's wicked. You know, our only way of serving someone is to change them. It's like, if we can't... If, we don't, if they're not like me, they're not valuable. But Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. It's amazing because he saw something valuable in people when they were still sinners. That's a Selah. That's what I believe. I'm sticking to it. See, one of the things that happens when we start talking about, like, honor is a lot of us grew up in homes uh, where we didn't have good mom and dad. I mean, I've told my story so many times, I'm tired of me hearing it. <laughs> my father drowned when I was three years old. My, my mother remarried when I was five. She divorced him when I was 13, remarried when I was 15. And both my two stepfathers didn't like me, neither one of them. I mean, the rule of the house was you were to be seen and not heard. He said that over and over. That was our, his motto. You were to be seen and not heard. I don't know how he told my other, my second stepfather, but somehow they got the message, and they, even though they didn't like each other, hey, he carried on where my other stepfather left off. So I grew up in a home that, you know, my first stepfather was extremely abusive physically and verbally. My second stepfather just yelled, screamed, hollered, and broke things. So some people are like, I can't submit to anybody. You don't understand how I was raised. Yeah, I understand how you are raised. I was raised the same way. My first stepfather beat me so bad one time, blood ran down my legs, my mother had to pull him off me. He would take animals. I had turtles. My first stepfather was so demented that he liked to see, he liked to put them over the fire while I watched. And he would, I forgot, there's children here. Anyway, wasn't good. So guess what? When I came into the kingdom, I don't trust anybody. I especially didn't trust someone who had authority over me because you know what? The only time I felt secure is when I was in charge. 
So when I'd come into the meeting, guess what? I like to be the center of attention. Why? Well, one, I like attention. But more importantly, I don't trust anybody. So if I wasn't in charge, I was very nervous in any culture in which I wasn't in charge. And when the Lord began to deal with me, this whole issue of honor, I'm like, hey, Lord, those people aren't trustworthy. He's like, well, I'm going to tell you a little secret, son. You decide not to trust the people that I put in charge of your life. You're going to spend your whole life working as a slave when you could be a prince. You better think about that because what's it costing you to not trust people? And how many of you know if you don't trust someone more than you trust yourself and if you ever get deceived, you can't get out of deception because the nature of deception is you don't know you're deceived. If you do know you're deceived, it's not called deception. It's called being stupid. Think about it. If you, whenever you're deceived and someone goes, hey, you know, you got this problem in your life, the nature of deception is that doesn't feel real. And so if you don't trust someone more than you trust yourself, there's no possible way to get out of deception when you fall into it. Because when someone tries to correct you, it doesn't feel real. See, trust in someone more than you trust yourself is honor. What does honor look like? Well, it means that when you come to an impasse with someone who's in charge, that you pass off your trust to them and to God. That's what I believe. In Luke 15, there's an interesting... I only have 12 more pages to go and we'll be all done. In Luke 15, it's the story of the prodigal son. And I'm just going to read it to you. Verse 27. The servant said to the elder brother, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered his father and says, Look, for so many years I have been serving you. I've never neglected a command of yours, and and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I may celebrate with my friends. But when his son of yours comes home, who has been devoured with, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And his father said to him, son, you've always been with me, and all that I have is mine. But we had to celebrate and rejoice for your brother who was dead is now alive. And he was lost. And he's not found. I want to finish with this last concept. Sometimes when people hear me teach, in fact, you can't believe the amount of letters I've gotten the last four years since I've been teaching this whole thing on honor. And People have come out of the shepherding movement. Some of you have no clue what shepherding movement is. That's fine. What happens when you teach fatherly principles to elder brothers? Here's the story. The prodigal son comes home. And his father's excited. He meets him out in the field. And he gives him the robe, the ring, and the sandals. And... The robe, he restores his identity. The ring, he restores his authority. The sandals, he restores his purity. And he goes, hey, let's have a party. Which is the father, he loves the party. He loves the feast more than fast. And so he gets excited. The father says, let's have a party. My son who was lost is now found. My son who is dead is now alive. And so they, they, all the servants start coming to this party. And then he notices that the elder brother doesn't come to the party. And he says to the elder brother, he says, how come you're not coming to the party? He says, you give him the fat calf, you ain't even give me a goat. 
His father says, I gave him the fattened calf, but everything I have is yours. You own the farm. Let me tell you something. What's the difference between a father and an elder brother? The elder brother is competing with the people he's supposed to be leading. I don't know if you got that. See, what happens when you teach fatherly principles to elder brothers? You get the shepherding movement. You get people who take fatherly principles and they use them to control the sons instead of empower the sons. Did you notice even when the son, the prodigal son, when he wanted to do something wrong, the father empowered him anyway? It's amazing though, did you notice that the son asked for his inheritance when he had the wrong heart and the father didn't give him an inheritance, he just gave him money. And when he came home with the right heart, the father gave him the real inheritance, the robe, the ring, and the sandals. How many know there's a difference between riches and wealth? Riches is just money. Wealth is the ability to make it again and to live peacefully while you have it. Because how many of you know, people that have riches, they spend all their time trying to make it. And once they make it, they spend all their days worrying about keeping it. But people who have wealth, they know that they, that who their source was. And they know that if it's gone, it'll come back. What happens when you teach honor to elder, to elder brothers instead of fathers? They require it instead of model it. Selah. What happens when you teach honor to elder brothers? They require other people to honor them instead of modeling it, giving it so they can receive it. They forget that they're also supposed to take the low seat in the house and let the father work their way up. Amen. How many of you know in the kingdom, we don't even give just because someone has a need? That's how paupers give. Paupers give out of need. They know how to touch the poor because they are poor. But how many of you know the kings don't give gifts to kings out of need? Our president, when, when the Russian prime minister, when he meets with the Russian prime minister, how many of you know he doesn't call his family, hey, have the Secret Service call his family and find out what he needs. We'll give him it as a gift. How many of you know that actually, when it, if a king gives to another king out of need, he actually dishonors him because he exposes his vulnerability. The kings actually give to uh, each other out of honor. And see, how many of you know that when Mary poured the alabaster vial over Jesus, disciples were totally indignant. They said, we could have sold this We could have sold this for a year's wages and touched the poor with it. And Jesus said, you always have the poor with you, but you won't have me. But what this lady did will be preached everywhere the gospel's preached. What was he teaching them? He's teaching them, you boys know how to give to the poor. You know how to give out of need. But you don't understand how to be princes and princesses who honor those who deserve honor. And you don't know how to give out of honor. You only know how to give out of provision. And I want you to know that you are to give, not just because someone needs it, but because they deserve it. We give our pastor a gift. He makes more money than I do, and he he drives a bigger car than I do. What's that have to do with it? You're not giving to him because he needs it. You're giving to him because he deserves honor. 
It's the value of the kingdom. Amen. Well, I commission you. Stand, please. You guys are looking so good. I'm taking the higher seat. It's actually so I can see you all. I, I just wanted to pray that what my grandpa taught me, you'd, you'd get it and all. So you wouldn't have to have my mama slap you. Or your mama. Or more importantly, your daddy. The big guy. And I just wanted to pray that you would get honor in your heart. <laughs> I better include myself in it because I probably have areas where I don't honor either. So, are you guys alright with that? Okay, so I want to pray that you would get the culture that I got growing up. That no one sat down and talked to me about. But it just happened by osmosis. Or something. Well, my mom helped out with it and all. She enforced it, but... So why don't you put your hand on your heart? <laughs> Whoa. Each. You know, um, well, some of you have lived in total rebellion. I, I, I don't know who you are, so I'm just trying to be true to what the Holy Spirit's telling me right now. Some of you have lived your whole life in total rebellion. Like you're independent. You do your own thing. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. And you come to church instead of become the church. You go from place to place. And as soon as somebody gets to know you and wants you to actually carry responsibility, you feel called to go somewhere else. That's just never going to work out for you. That independent spirit is not a good thing. And it will ultimately kill you. At least spiritually. And I want to ask you tonight, if you see that in your heart, that you need to ask Jesus to forgive you and change your mind about that attitude. So why don't you just bow your head for a minute. Close your eyes for a second. If you got that going on in your life, would you just raise your hand and go, that's me, I've been rebellious. Lots of people raising their hands right now. I've been rebellious. I've been independent. I've not trusted anyone. I've done my own thing. I don't let anybody get in my life. I don't let anybody get deep enough in my life to really to really tell me anything. I don't listen to authority. I talk behind people's backs. I actually dishonor authority on purpose. Raise your hands high. I'm just going to pray for you right there. And you're like, I want to repent. I, I don't want to do this anymore. This, this sucks. I, I don't want to do this anymore. I want, I want, to, I want God to create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. And I bet you almost, I bet you every one of you that has their hand up has had a bad experience with authority. I know I've had terrible experience with authority, like I told you in my childhood. But it's time to get over it. So those of you that have your hand up, I want you to pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, why don't we all pray together? And there it gives a little bit of... Um, little bit of privacy to the folks who are actually repenting because um, they're not on stage just say Lord Jesus I ask you to forgive me I've been independent I've been rebellious and I've done my own thing and I'm done with that tonight I've heard the truth and I'm ready to be free 
I'm ready to be free to honor people. I'm ready to be free to be honored. I'm ready to be free to receive an inheritance. I'm ready to be free to be corrected, to be directed, and to serve people who deserve serving. And honor people who deserve honor. And Lord, I ask you to forgive me. I I just don't want this attitude in my life anymore. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to heal the deepest parts of my heart. To take away anything unclean in me. Anything that would stimulate rebellion in me. You have permission to do open heart surgery on me tonight and Lord I forgive the fathers you put in my life who abused authority in my life I forgive mothers that you put in my life who abused their authority in my life Lord I forgive all authority that you put in my life for good But they used it against me. They did evil against me. Lord, I release them right now. In the name of Jesus. Go free. I don't want you dead. I don't want you punished. But you have permission to live happily ever after. To be free from the results of your sin against me. And Lord, I pray now. That you would remove all offenses, all unforgiveness, and wounds that were there because of things that have happened. That you would heal my heart like David when he said you restored his soul. Lord, I ask that you restore my soul. And Lord, help me to be prepared. Help me to get ready to be blessed help me to not (laughs) you don't know what I'm saying help me help me to not destroy sabotage the blessing that you begin to pour in my life and Lord two more things help me to learn how to honor heaven to honor you and God I pray teach me how to honor myself teach me how to live in this vessel that you made with your hands that also deserves honor help me not to sabotage my own honor for the sake of honoring others but help me to honor people as I've honored myself in the kingdom Amen. That was awesome right there. (laughs) This concludes this message. For more information on the ministry of Chris Vallotton, please contact us at Bethel Church, 933 College View Drive, Redding, California, 96003. Or you can phone us at area code 530-246-6000. You can also visit us online at www.ibethel.org. 
We pray this message will continue to bless and encourage your walk with God, and may the joy of the Lord be your strength.